I was sitting with my friend Arthur Kornblum in a restaurant. It was a Horn and Dalet cafeteria. And this beautiful girl walked in, and I turned to Arthur, and I said, Arthur, you see that girl? I'm going to marry her. And two weeks later, we were married. And it's over 50 years later, and we are still married. A good love story. Whether it's When Harry Met Sally, which you just heard a clip from, or Love Actually Around the Holidays, nothing warms you quite like hearing about the fortune of others when all hope seem to be lost. Around Thanksgiving of last year, I wrote a piece for Man Repeller about how I digitally found love when all I had known about digital love up to that point was Nora Ephron's You've Got Mail and some Bumble Swipes. In the first ever midweek episode of this podcast, I'm going to read you that very story. Let's call it when Scary's met Sally. It was like a first date, but not. Instead of matching on a dating app that I mindlessly scrolled at a bar while ignoring my friends, we met through the comments section of a website that I had started, a website that hardly any of my friends even knew I created. Rather than showing up 10 minutes early to a restaurant to have a glass of wine to cool my nerves, I sat at a kitchen island wondering if I'd already had too much to drink. And instead of listening to the My Girl soundtrack while putting pomade in my hair over a bathroom sink, well, I sat at that very same kitchen island listening to the My Girl soundtrack. Nothing can really prepare you for it. That moment when you see your iPad light up, the signal that you're finally about to come face to face, digitally speaking, with the person you've only known through Instagram deep dives and Google searches. You know what she looks like, but you don't know the intricacies of her facial expressions, the tone of her voice, or the rapport you'll have once the FaceTime actually connects. We lived 1,500 miles apart. Since meeting in person wasn't exactly plausible, this was our best and only option. We weren't going to bump into one another at a bar or a coffee shop. It was either FaceTime or get back to reality. Meeting someone through digital communication isn't some rarity. But in the same way our parents filled out dance cards ahead of socials, we've become accustomed to starting relationships by just sending, hey, you know, the hey with three Y's. The more you use, the more you're interested, of course. And then just waiting for those three dots to appear in response. These days, everyone around us has his or her own version of a modern day you've got male love story. In this circumstance, though, fate may have been a little more on my side than Joe Fox and Kathleen Kelly. And obviously Joe's golden retriever, Brinkley. Never forget Brinkley. For us, it began with a DM. Not like how club promoters use DMs to get like Instagram models with 10K plus followers to go get bottle service with them. But rather, okay, how many times can we respond to each other's tweets before one of us finally makes the move? There's an unexplainable way of knowing that someone's flirting with you online, and this was definitely the case. In the following days after that message, there were a lot of questions I asked myself outside of, what's taking her so long to respond this time? You can say you're not playing the game, but everyone's playing the game in some manner. These questions ranged from, why am I getting feelings for someone that lives in a city I'll likely never live in? To, okay, at what point are we going to get off Twitter and actually just use our phone numbers? Both are understandable, 
but one loomed heavier in my head than the other. It wasn't until the drunk, late Saturday night FaceTime that we actually both realized that we should probably be honest with ourselves about what we're doing. Much like you might need an extra vodka soda in order to muster up the courage to talk to someone across the bar, I needed about four of them to become honest with myself and accept the initial call with a hesitant index finger and a fully charged iPad. That call lasted about three hours, and it only amplified the questions that were already weighing on me. It was a call that was more difficult to shake than the hangover I'd encountered the next morning when I woke up to a doll licking my face and a dead iPad on the nightstand. They don't call it falling for someone because it feels painless. They call it that because while it's happening, you don't know how the land will actually feel. Much like dropping your iPhone on a curb, it can either be picked up surprisingly fine or completely shattered. And when you're thousands of miles away working a job, blogging freelance in your spare time, you don't exactly have the faith in the situation that you'd have if it were just a 3 a.m. text. In this case, distance doesn't make the heart grow fonder when the distance feels insurmountable. It wasn't until I was working one random Saturday that my phone lit up. I was sitting at my desk trying to find the words to describe a vintage lamp that my boss had purchased. I think it was made of a French wallpaper roller or something, but I'm not really sure. The call wasn't from her, but from someone who was about to offer me a job, and it was based out of a city where she grew up. While getting your dream job offer should be exciting, the realization that you're about to move within striking distance of the person you've been having seemingly pointless four-hour phone conversations and FaceTimes with is downright debilitating. There are a lot of catfish in the sea, I thought to myself on numerous occasions. After all, I had originally messaged her because we were both supposed to be in Vegas at the same time for bachelor and bachelorette parties over the same weekend. But when I had to bow out at the last minute because of obligations out of my control, it felt as though fate wasn't exactly on my side anymore. This made sense considering the situation we'd both put ourselves in. You know, the whole falling for someone you met on Twitter who lives in a different time zone. It wasn't until I signed the contract a week later that we actually had to have our so what now discussion. The feeling you get in the pit of your stomach when you realize you're going to meet the person you've been thinking about is unlike any feeling you get before an Uber drops you off outside of a bar where you decide to meet a Bumble match. Yes, you're going on a real first date, but you've already built a non-physical relationship with this person by telling them your favorite type of cheese, your favorite fruit, your favorite baseball team. Too distracted by staring into a screen to drink a glass of Cabernet you poured earlier in the night, you imagine how much easier it would be to just be in a bar. Just people watching, laughing at other awkward first dates around you. But instead, we now found ourselves being that awkward couple. Normally seeing a familiar face in an unfamiliar city is a welcoming feeling. In this case though, it was enough to justify putting on another layer of deodorant. When I finally watched her get out of the car to pick me up, only to greet me with a side hug and her sunglasses on, well, it made me rethink ever accepting the first night's drunken FaceTime in the first place. Side hugs give you the same feeling as when your middle school crush held you an arm's length apart during Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Rather than resting your head on her shoulder, she kind of just ignores you and the fact that you're stepping on her feet. But as you have to do sometimes in life, you let the situation take control and see where it lands you. She ordered us lunch while judging me for wearing croquis, and I ordered cocktails while wondering, who the hell wears camouflage on a first date? These are natural instincts for two people meeting for the first time, but unnatural feelings for two people who have, quote, known each other for the better part of two months. When we said goodbye, she made the monumental leap from side hug to normal hug, only to race back to her sisters and tell them she never wanted to see me again. Somehow, though, some way, I convinced her through text to have a dimly lit dinner with me that night. She did invite another couple to break the ice and make sure I wasn't an axe murderer, but we had dinner nonetheless. Two and a half years later, we've known what the other person has had for dinner every night since, both with and without our dog, who kind of has a name that sounds like Brinkley. I remember how it all began, 
but undoubtedly, I romanticize it more than the romance we actually felt at the beginning of this entire thing. Fate's a convenient label to give something when all the pieces have already fallen into place. Luckily for us, they have. Not in the you've got mail kind of way, but more of a when Harry met Sally kind of way. You know, minus the fake orgasm while she ordered her lunch. If you liked what you heard today, please, please, please subscribe, review, or even tell a hungover friend in need about this podcast. By subscribing, you won't only get these episodes straight to your phone every Sunday morning, but you can help propel it to the top of the charts so others can find it as well. It's a win-win for both of us. You can also follow along on Twitter, which is Sunday Scaries, and Instagram, which is Sunday.Scaries. Or you can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Will DeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.